Good morning and welcome to Seeking Wellness, Our Bodies Explained on WPKN 89.5 FM. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Pierre, your neighborhood naturopathic doctor and public health advocate, bringing you the best of what integrative medicine has to offer. We broadcast from Bridgeport, Connecticut on the fourth Saturday of every month from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Here on Seeking Wellness, we discuss various health topics while clarifying some misconceptions about naturopathic medicine and providing education from a clinical and holistic perspective. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back. If you're new to the party, come on in, take off your shoes, and get comfortable. If you've missed any of our past shows, please log on to our website, wpkn.org, to explore our archives and podcasts. So some of you may know that prior to becoming a naturopathic doctor, I worked in public health for many years, and one of the areas I worked in was mental health. I learned so much that it prompted me to always keep that as a tenant in my career. When I became a physician, I took those tools of counseling into my practice. I'm always cognizant that patients are carrying trauma that we may or may not see. For instance, many patients have trauma around the healthcare system, including past neglect and possible medical errors. So today, the focus of the show will be on trauma because we all have it to a certain extent. And my special guest today is Dr. Gaynell Nave. Dr. Gaynell Nave is a healer and an AZ licensed naturopathic physician. She works with women to reveal the vibrant queen within them so that they can embody their true selves. Her practice is virtual and serves her local Grand Rapids community and the world beyond. Her clinical focus is psychoneuroendocrinology, the relationship of hormones, the nervous system, and psychological well-being. She hails from Jamaica and uses the knowledge from her culture, her naturopathic medical training, and trauma-informed training to facilitate healing. She obtained her naturopathic medical degree at the federally accredited Naturopathic Medical School, Southwest College of Naturopathic Medicine in Tempe, Arizona, which is where we met. Dr. Nave has also received additional training in neuroemotional technique, NET, the principles of internal family systems, IFS, and other forms of trauma-informed care. Each therapeutic partnership with Dr. Nave relies on her client's expertise of themselves as well as her own clinical expertise. It involves an analysis and understanding of their unique needs and story, as well as the use of specialty hormone and gastrointestinal testing, collaboration with other healthcare providers, classical homeopathy, hormonal education, nutrition, and environmental medicine as the primary supportive tools. Dr. Nave is passionate about education and keeping abreast of the developing knowledge and techniques with psychoneuroendocrinology. This pushes her to pursue training, research, and learning opportunities in a variety of fields, including but not limited to social work, naturopathic medicine, psychiatry, pharmacology, and botanical medicine. In her time off, she serves on the Psychiatric Association of Naturopathic Physicians, board of directors as secretary, as well as on the subcommittees of professional development and board certification 
For more information about Dr. Nave, visit her website, drgaynellnave.com. Welcome, Dr. Gaynell. Thank you, Dr. Jennifer. <laughs> so happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure and honor to be here with you today. I am so excited to talk about this topic of trauma. It's really important to me, as I just mentioned, um, in general, I feel like it's something we kind of shy away from speaking about, but it's actually very prevalent. And I think it's timely. And I've been no stranger to talking about mental health issues on this show. So that is why I wanted to have you here. As I mentioned in your bio, we met at SCNM and I've just loved watching your career grow over the years and your focus on trauma. You're so passionate about it. And I think that you are the perfect person to have on the show today to talk about trauma. Thanks again. Thanks sure. Again. So mm -hmm. let's start with this. Mm -hmm. Give me some background as to what is trauma and mm -hmm. why it's relevant. Well, the simplest definition would be to say that trauma is a response to a stressful event. Now, this is whether it's a perceived threat or a real threat, your body is basically trying to protect you. And that's what trauma is. Your body's attempt, your body's and brain's attempt to keep you safe secure and protected mm. the this response however becomes trauma when we don't have the space the time the resources or support to process that event um, another way of thinking of it is that trauma keeps us in the past and sort of like everything in the present and the future exists in shades of gray mm. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When I'm, I'm thinking about that, that automatically like took me there, right? Because uh, mm -hmm. a lot of people, the source of their trauma is in the past. Right. So <laughs> even just thinking about that in the shades of gray, it's quite poetic at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, why are you so interested in trauma and treating it? So I, a little bit of backstory is would help in terms of what brought me to naturopathic medicine. So when sure. I was younger, I knew that I wanted to be a doctor as early as four years old. And then when I became a believer, I wanted what I, my vocation to line up with what God called me to do. And so mm -hmm. I felt continually drawn to being a healer and partnering in people's well-being. However, what I saw is what conventional medicine said didn't necessarily line up with the way in which God sees us. He sees us as mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual. And so it didn't stand to my reason, at least, that when it came to healing, that we would neglect these other aspects of ourselves. And so that's what really drew me to doing things this way, as well as my own personal experience with pain and seeing other people suffering and the ways in which we perpetuate that pain because hurt people hurt people. Yes. I say that all the time, <laughs> all the time. <laughs> yeah. And like trauma isn't just, I know it sounds like a really fancy word and it seems like the thing to say nowadays, mm -hmm. but it, it has changed meaning or not necessarily meaning, but the name of it has changed based on the cultures that we come from and the ways in which we talk about things. So some people might say, oh, I'm just stressed 
or I'm having a hard time or things are just rough right now or, you know, I'm just struggling. And we don't necessarily think of it in terms of mental health, but everything is intertwined. And that entanglement, if we don't really address it, then we perpetuate it, um, whether intentionally or unintentionally, we end up suffering and it can manifest in physical sensations and symptoms and diseases. Um, and it's just really heavy because in addition to it perpetuating itself, it gets passed down through generations, uh, affecting entire cultures, the ways mm -hmm. in which we talk and relate to each other, the different resiliency factors that we have, the way in which we dance, the things that we take for granted as this is the way people talk, this is mm -hmm. the way you greet someone. If someone comes over, this is how you entertain them whether we speak mm -hmm. up or don't speak up, all of the things that we take for granted are informed by our experiences, whether they were painful or not painful. And so it's really important whether you believe you have trauma or not to really take the time to evaluate why we do things, how we experience our environment or thoughts, the people around us, paying attention to um, the bodily responses that we have to different things. So like if a certain music comes on, do you notice that your ears start to tingle or you feel like you have butterflies in your stomach? Mm. Do you feel like a little girl or a little boy again? Do you feel hesitant? Do you feel excited? Are you uncertain about taking the next step? all of these things are, it's just so intricate and so important. Like it affects mm. us, it affects those around us or children or children's children or ancestors, all of it. <laughs> you mentioned, I love that you shared how you got to naturopathic medicine. And mm -hmm. what's interesting is I find that whenever I speak to naturopathic doctors in particular, I love asking their story um, mm -hmm. because it usually is very fascinating. <laughs> it's not very <laughs> linear. Usually it's usually a personal experience or mm -hmm. family member who was helped by naturopathic medicine and they felt inspired. And, um, mm -hmm. we spoke about this previously. I, you know, I was brought to the medicine, um, after working in public health and wanting to have a deeper dive in, mm -hmm. in looking at the medical system and, honestly, just embracing everything that medicine has to offer. Um, I always mm -hmm. say to people, it's not an either or for me, it's an and. Mm -hmm. I believe that this system should embrace, you know, both conventional medicine and naturopathic medicine. Um, you know, some people use the word functional medicine, it's all rooted in naturopathic medicine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's and that is rooted in the indigenous cultures, you know, mm -hmm. that came way before this modern healthcare system. So um, I love that you shared that background and, you know, pretty much from hearing you talk, I know you treat other things, women's health, and I know you mm -hmm. have hormones. Um, what really pushed you to focus so much on the trauma? I, and I know you said part of it was personal, but mm -hmm. how did that journey go where you, you saw yourself kind of leaning towards trauma? Is it what was coming out in your patients or what, what led you to, to move so much in this direction? 
As you said, that's a really great question <laughs> because as you said, it's not linear. Um, there are multiple experiences that I had. So growing up in Jamaica and just being the, just having the experience of a young black girl in a culture where most people look like me mm. is, <laughs> has its own unique experiences because sexism is still present, right? And so the feelings of not feeling safe. Um, and then also within my culture, we had uh, different programs like the, P the PALS program and the PEACE program, talking about at-risk teens. And there was this freedom with the way in which we talked about health. We didn't call it mental health, but we were talking about mental health. <laughs> so that freedom and also sort of like the, I'm not sure if it would be considered a paradox of the Jamaican experience, the young black woman experience in Jamaica, where I feel unsafe in environments that are mostly male-based, like older men and like being concerned about how I look, walking down the street. Mm. But then in an academic setting or if I'm in an office, those same people wouldn't act that way or relate that way to me. The different responses that I saw some of my peers have when it came to uh, peer pressure, not being certain of who they are, what they wanted and mm. the lack of familial support or openness to talk about the issues that you are having because unfortunately back home it's when you're younger it's like children are to be seen and not heard yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. and then as you get older, you know, like if you respond a certain way, your yes. mother might look at you and be like, don't look at, don't look at me in that tone of voice or um, don't raise your voice. Even though for you, you're like, I'm not raising my voice. Yeah. I'm just sharing my displeasure. I'm sharing that I'm upset. I'm sharing that I'm concerned. And so that lack of communication or rather space to communicate with our parents wow. and just seeing that inner <laughs> turmoil, <laughs> that inner turmoil. And then, being so close to the US and watching these images on TV and how the children would granted it's fabricated, but how the children would talk to their parents and yes. have this open dialogue. <laughs> it just made me feel like I was being robbed. I felt mm. like I was being robbed of something. And then I came to the US and I experienced racism for the first time. Mm. And that experience of seeing it on TV, like we watch Roots every single February <laughs> back home. Um, February is also Rastafarian uh, month back home. And so mm -hmm. like we we're really strong with our black pride back home. But it, it's, it's just, it's just interesting. These, these uh, juxtapositions and yet differences yeah. and like yeah. just that whole soup, if you will, of experiences. Yeah. And I am so happy that you're sharing this because yeah. as you know, I'm Caribbean mm -hmm. as well. Um, I was mm -hmm. raised in America, born and raised in America, but pretty mm -hmm. much raised in a household. <laughs> that was, I might as well have been in Haiti, which is where my family is from. And uh -huh. 
Um, when you talk about those juxtapositions, I think mm -hmm. that one, being black is often viewed as a monolith. Right. And, um, which can be very frustrating because people don't yes. realize that you can have totally different experiences exactly. um, where you don't fit in, in a lot of mm -hmm. ways. And yeah. like you said, I grew up not feeling as much of uh, freedom to mm -hmm. speak on certain things, right? Mm -hmm. um, and how that kind of carries into certain areas of your life as you grow. Mm -hmm. um, but it also carries with it a deep respect, which you're taught for your elders. So mm -hmm. it's like with everything, there's like this balance of this is the positive, this is the negative, and mm -hmm. I, I mm -hmm. wouldn't trade it for the world. But mm -hmm. like you said, sometimes it does come along with these things. And I appreciate you being so transparent because mm -hmm. this is a, a topic that lends to transparency, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm not afraid of tackling this topic, you know, due to that. Mm -hmm. And I'm a very transparent person so <laughs> talking about this. We're going to be very medical. You know, yeah. I think it is important to have transparency because there are people listening to this who mm -hmm. either can relate or mm -hmm. this, you know, harkens to something else that's familiar to them, but it's important. Mm -hmm. And, and as, yeah. doctors, as doctors, we need to be aware of what patients may be coming to the table with. <laughs> and mm -hmm. sometimes our personal experiences allow us to relate to our patients. Right. Like, you know, I've seen, and yes. I, I feel like that has made me a better doctor. I, I feel like because I love culture so much, including my own, and I love traveling, mm -hmm. I find that I can relate to so many different types of people because I see the mm -hmm. world as global and not just mm -hmm. so, Yeah. You know, anyway. I love that you said that. <laughs> yeah, that's how There's I don't there. see the world, mm -hmm. you know, often the way so many Americans do. It's not just America. It's I'm, I'm constantly thinking about, okay, what's happening here and how is it affecting mm -hmm. other countries? Mm -hmm. um, you know, the global point of view. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway. Anywho, <laughs> so tell me, um, I want to talk more about... Um, some more aspects of trauma specifically. So mm -hmm. run, run me through um, how trauma can manifest and present. So you, you started going in, a little bit into some other topics that I'm mm -hmm. going to get to because I can't wait. They're so juicy. <laughs> Give me an example of how it can manifest in a person and also mm -hmm. acute versus a chronic type of trauma. Okay. Sounds great. So when we think of stress, people usually typically think of it as something that's negative, but stress is any form of change, really. At least that's how your body and your brain perceives it. Mm -hmm. So that change could be, it's getting warmer outside, so it's a higher temperature, maybe it's getting lower, maybe the AC just came on or the fan, maybe you just saw the light. All of these things are forms of stress. The issue with stress is not that it exists it's more so is it acute or is it chronic so in an acute situation your body recognizes that change and it adapts to that change to keep you functioning optimally when that stress is sustained or at a low level example microaggressions someone saying don't eat that or why is your hair like that making little comments those things can add up and your brain can if it perceives that as a threat and again this threat might be real or perceived and when i say perceived 
It's based on your past experiences, your ancestors' experiences, seeing someone's experience, and that memory is in your brain. And your brain then says, is this a threat? And kind of like overtakes your reasoning mind. So you are not deciding to be stressed. You're not deciding to make this traumatic. Your brain is like, we need to be safe. Mm -hmm. So we're going to short circuit that and let's get on with it. (laughs) And when that short circuit happens, you might experience like increased heart rate, um, sweating. Maybe you feel like you need to run to the bathroom to have a bowel movement. Maybe you feel like you're going to pee yourself or throw up. Maybe you start feeling muscle aches, tension in your shoulders or in your muscles. Maybe your RA starts flaring, so your rheumatoid arthritis. Mm -hmm. Maybe your UC starts flaring, whatever pre-existing conditions you have starts flaring. Maybe your blood sugar drops, now you feel hangry. (laughs) (laughs) It can manifest in so many different ways. It's very individualized. That's the other thing about trauma. It's an individual experience. Just because someone is something is triggering to one person doesn't mean that it will trigger another person. Great point. And so if you're in this state of heightened vigilance where your body is hyper aware, you're looking out for danger because that's what your body and your brain is doing. It's really taxing. It's very taxing because you get that adrenaline rush and adrenaline is not supposed to be for like a long period of time. We have other hormones that start to take over from that. So that's namely cortisol. We think of it as stress hormone, but it's also important for your sleep regulation, your immune function, so many wonderful things, which is why when chronic stress happens, we see so many different effects. So in an acute stressful situation, um, cortisol increases the immune functionality. So your body is better capable at killing bacteria, viruses, all that kind of stuff. Your blood sugar um, is stable around that time. So you're like getting more sugar into your muscles so that you can run and to your brain so that you can be hyper-focused and get tasks done. But over time, so again, that chronic stress or stress that's low level over a long period of time, things flip. So instead of the stress being protective and you are hyper-functioning, if you will, it now becomes deleterious and you have things like brain fog. You're not as, your body isn't as primed or as capable or as sensitive to insulin. So now you're experiencing potentially pre-diabetes or um, metabolic syndrome. You have lower immune functionality. So after the stressful event, example, an exam or the end of school year, now you're sick. (laughs) So you weren't sick the whole time or you had this huge project for work to to do and you were managing five, 10 different people and you guys pushed, got the thing done. Mm -hmm. Yay, exciting. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as it's done, you crash. Yep. So that's that crashing is the effect from that chronic stress. And if you're continually in the state of chronic stress, it has so many horrible effects for us. You know, um, heart disease, 
mm-hmm. diabetes. Autoimmune disorders are associated with trauma and chronic stress as well. Um, fertility Definitely. challenges. So like your cycles can become irregular. You can break out and have acne. Um, sex can become painful. There, there's, oh my goodness. Yeah. If there's any health issue that can, you can think of, the two are probably interlinked. Definitely, definitely. Especially, I'm glad you mentioned autoimmune diseases. I've seen in practice, one of the first things I ask people is when it started. And, and we were taught that in school. And I think that is the most, one of the most valuable questions you can ask your patient about any condition, but mm-hmm. particularly with autoimmune diseases, because there's so much confusion and there's not a lot of clarity on why, mm-hmm. how. Um, Mm -hmm. I always ask my patients, when did this start? And was there, and and sometimes they'll be like, oh, and I'm like, was it a stressful period for you? And Mm -hmm. when they think about it, it is always connected to some stressful Mm -hmm. moment that went on in their lives and not a little stress usually, it's usually something huge. Mm -hmm. Um, So you started going into what, you know, you're really passionate about psychoneuroendocrinology <laughs> mm-hmm. and just give the people an explanation of what that is, because you already started talking about that hormonal connection mm-hmm. with that and how the brain responds, but explain to people what that is. Okay. So psychoneuroendocrinology, like uh, Dr. Jennifer had said in my bio, is this link between your mental health, your nervous system and your hormones. So in that cascade that I was describing related to stress, your brain and your body are in continual communication with each other to maintain balance because your body is all about balance, nothing too much, nothing too little, just right in the middle. Um, And sometimes that middle range is pretty narrow. Um, and so when you, when there's a change or a stressful event, your brain is responsible for assessing whether it is dangerous or whether it's safe. And the brain then communicates with the rest of your body through hormones and your nervous system. Some of these hormones have a direct impact on your nervous system itself, as well as on specific organs in the body. So in that stressful cascade that I was talking about, you may have heard of the HPA axis. That's the hypothalamus, pituitary, adrenal gland axis. I know science makes things really complex with the naming, so I apologize on that. Um, no, so this the is hy- how people learn. Teach them. <laughs> Teach them. Well, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. So the hypothalamus is in your brain, and it has a direct connection to the brain structure itself. That's where it lives. And then the pituitary gland is connected to the hypothalamus, whether directly through nervous connections, so nerves, as or through hormones. And that communication, think of the hypothalamus as like the chief. He, they are the CEO of your body. So they control <laughs> how your body responds to basically everything. And then your pituitary gland would be like the manager underneath said chief who supervises everybody else, make sure that everybody else is doing their job. And so then the pituitary gland communicates with the adrenal gland through hormones And the adrenal gland then responds in an acute stress event, it produces the adrenaline. And so adrenaline 
or noradrenaline, you might've heard it called epinephrine. So the EpiPen that you use, same hormone, um, that epinephrine, it tells the body or it communicates to the body that we need to be in attentive mode or sympathetic mode. That causes your pupils to dilate so that you can see around you, see far, your muscles, are primed to move. So instead of blood being in your digestive tract, that blood diverts to the muscles so that you can run, fight, or fly, <laughs> or freeze, mm. depending on if mm. you can't, if you feel like you can't actually react to the situation, like you can't get out of the situation and you can't fight the opposition, then the body's response is to freeze. So you sort of like shut down. Um, so that happens in the short interim. Um, and that is like really short time because that uh, the adrenaline is what's called a neurotransmitter. So neurotransmitters are communication molecules between nerves and they don't last very long. Um, and so the hormones take over from that, which create a sustained response to that event and cortisol is one of those main hormones that respond mm -hmm. but it's not the only one cortisol interacts with um, chemicals ca called cytokines which are involved in inflammation the immune functionality which then impacts things like your heart health um, your blood pressure um, your ability to sort of like kill things if they're around, if you will. So mm -hmm. like primed immune function. Mm -hmm. um, and the cortisol getting higher in sustained levels impacts your insulin, which as you know, it's important for maintaining your blood sugar. Um, it also impacts the other hormones like estrogen and progesterone, which affect fertility, affect mm -hmm. testosterone. And so we have this orchestra that's <laughs> happening in our body, like all these different instruments that are creating mm. this symphony, this beautiful mm. musical piece that makes you you. But that the tuning of the instruments gets disrupted and they start to become dissonant if that stress is prolonged. Um, mm. which, yeah. And so that, that prolonged aspect of things, then we, we see things like your periods can become heavier, mm -hmm. um, experiencing disrupted sleep, um, with the disrupted sleep. Again, we mentioned that cortisol is not just about stress. It's not just about the immune health. It's also about your sleep wake cycle. Cortisol mm -hmm. is what helps you get up in the morning. And in order for you to get up in the morning, you need sunlight. So in the winter time, you might notice that you have lower mood, difficulty waking up. And that's partly because of the sun and also related to your body's response to the sun, which is that cortisol. And so it's... It's, it's, it's a very beautiful interconnected beautiful first of all you're very poetic Thank and you. that was the most beautiful way that I heard 
that's just being described. Um, mm-hmm. But also, like you said, this beautiful symphony of what's going on in the body. And mm-hmm. I think this education is very important. Um, mm-hmm. It's a huge part of what we do as naturopathic doctors. Um, mm-hmm. But honestly, doctor, docere, that, mm-hmm. that's what it means. Um, right. Teach. So all doctors, there's this component of education. And I think when patients have a better understanding of what's going on in their body, mm-hmm. it allows them to kind of navigate through it more successfully because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, this is how it's going on. So you're not losing our listeners, by the way, they're, they're pretty smart. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, um, you know, and if they didn't know this term before psychoneuroendocrinology, now they know it. And it's super important. And mm-hmm. I think we hear these terms fight or flight Sometimes people aren't as familiar with some of the interworkings of some of these hormones. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that was absolutely fantastic. I want to move into some special topics and populations um, Mm -hmm. that more specifically deal with trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so many of these things come into mind. So I think about um, violent crimes, natural Mm -hmm. disasters, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, many people were familiar with the earthquake that happened in Haiti. Um, Mm -hmm. that was a huge one for me personally, um, Mm -hmm. that always comes to mind when I think of things like that racism, Mm -hmm. which you touched upon, um, Mm -hmm. poverty, even, you know, Mm -hmm. someone growing up Mm -hmm. in poverty has trauma many times, even as they move forward in life, being afraid to go back to that position again different Mm -hmm. forms of abuse, child abuse. Um, Mm -hmm. I mentioned in the beginning having uh, issues with the healthcare system, even which came out, you know, last year in the height of the pandemic, Mm -hmm. people were surprised, I guess, that so many people were dealing with healthcare system trauma, which, you know, unfortunately, if you're a person of color, you've had some of that (laughs) in your (laughs) life. I mean, it's sad to say, but that's the reality. And but I was happy that people are finally having these conversations that need to be had. It's not Mm -hmm. saying that only people of color have trauma with the healthcare system, but it's very prevalent. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's something that people carry, you know, that that you know, again, as physicians, you have to be aware of because you may gloss over the fact of, you know, why your patient may be hesitant to take a medication or, you know, as we talk about vaccines, you know, why are these populations so resistant? There's a lot of trauma in that. Um, Mm -hmm. And also let's just say in general, if someone has a healthcare crisis, like a health crisis that they're personally dealing with, you know, what that can, you know, Anytime they're thinking about any kind of disease, there's a trauma attached to that. And, you know, will I get cancer again? You know, um, how long will I stay in remission? All those, all those types of things. So I kind of tapped into COVID a little bit, but tell me a little bit of even that isolation um, with COVID and how that could potentially have long-term effects on, on different populations. That's a great question. So, When we think of trauma, we have what's called little t trauma and big t trauma. So little t trauma, think of it as the small things that happen over a period of time. It doesn't necessarily have to be a long period of time. It could be, you know, not an hour, but yeah, even an hour, like someone saying something multiple times could get to you. Um, And big t trauma, we think of it as natural disasters the pandemic, um, 
the pandemic I would consider a big T trauma, a trauma that impacted not only one person, but it was a global mm-hmm. health crisis. Mm-hmm. And with that global health crisis, we had isolation. Human beings were created for connection. We require connection to ourselves, others, and our creator. Whatever spiritual practice you have, having a connection, a spiritual connection, and exercising that relationship, if you will, are really important for our total well-being. Otherwise, we're neglecting a part of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so with the isolation that the pandemic gave us, it was especially felt, I believe, by communities that may not have had access to technology, mm-hmm. who may have been, um, take for instance, our service workers, our healthcare workers, especially the healthcare workers, because, and, and those who worked in the sanitation for the hospitals or mm-hmm. the streets and mm-hmm. stuff like Thank that. Thank you for because, bringing them up. Because part of their job was coming in contact with those who were sick, who, again, the sick had to be isolated. And how does that then impact their health and not being able to see their family members, um, as well as the family members themselves, not being able to see those, mm-hmm. those um, family members and the fear associated with, am I going to lose my mother? Am I going to lose my friend? losing your job or having to apply for um, unemployment or disability and the challenge, like all of the, the complexities of life were heightened during that time period, especially if you had a disability, whether it's physical or cognitive, whatever the case may be, the isolation that came with COVID really amped things up it made the pains even more apparent because you couldn't drone it out with the drove of work the drove <laughs> of um hanging out with a bunch of people or having a bunch of experiences a lot of us had to sit with ourselves sit with our thoughts become aware of those thoughts and for a lot of people being in your head is a scary place (laughs) Um, and not having someone to talk to about the things that were coming up Mm -hmm. made it just made it really taxing and we saw an increase in um, uh, deaths of teens to suicide during the pandemic caregivers especially those who had to take care of an adult child with a disability or those who worked in the hospice system Mm -hmm. the isolation really wore down on parents because you're giving so much and yet you're still expected to do these things do these jobs but the lack of support is very, very real and very, very present. Mm-hmm. And that, that support, that community, 
being able to relate to others, being able to share our stories, being able to get outside, see someone smile, have a hug, mm-hmm. that physical contact, it just does something for the soul. Like if your mother hugs you and you have a great relationship with your mother. <laughs> yeah, it's it just important. <laughs> it just like makes some people up. have trauma around their, their right. numbers. I love yes. that you were specific with that. Yeah. Or, you know, like someone that you love and care about just hugs you when you're having a hard day mm-hmm. or just listens to you when you're having a hard time or just sits with you when you've lost someone. Like when you're experiencing grief, it's not even so much that someone has to hug you or talk to you. Just having someone there with you lessens the weight that you are carrying. And so that isolation that we experience, it just amplified all of the things that we may not have been aware of mm-hmm. in terms of our trauma. It amplified the ways in which we may not be loving ourselves or relating to others well. And just the fears associated with what was going on, being concerned that you might get sick. Mm-hmm. Concerned that if it's you One of the get biggest sick, traumas, you know, right. when will I get sick? Will I get sick? What happens when I get sick? How bad mm-hmm. will it be? This person was fine. This person is not. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not over, you know? Right. I mm-hmm. think it's amazing that we're moving out of you know, where we were last year in comparison, but Mm -hmm. there's a lot of trauma I'm seeing from people, Mm -hmm. you know, around this reintroduction into society. Mm -hmm. Not everyone is ready. And and I will personally Mm -hmm. say, I see that there is this very aggressive movement to get back to normal, but I Uh, think it's okay mm -mm. that it won't (laughs) be normal. Like it's okay. Um, I think it's great that some of the, the, the probably the, the biggest benefit of the, you know, the COVID experience is just putting everything out on the table to be dealt with, exposing mm-hmm. all the cracks in the healthcare system. Also, mm-hmm. the beauty of it as well, just seeing, you know, everyone come together and, mm-hmm. and work hard to care about one another is, I think, a, a, a beautiful thing. But there mm-hmm. is a lot of pain in the experience. And, you know, it has been horrible, but, mm-hmm. you know, I think, um, you know, this is, again, this is my personal just opinion on this. I think there is kind of this rush to get back to normal that is also hurting people. And mm-hmm. not everyone is as quick to move forward. And mm-hmm. um, I just think we need to be really careful in monitoring how we treat other people and their ability to be able to do that either due to past traumas, which is why, mm-hmm. like I said, I wanted to talk about this topic. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, maybe, like you said, just afraid to, to, to get the disease, afraid of, you know, dealing with family members with the disease. There's so much trauma mm-hmm. around decision making mm-hmm. um, and what to do. And, um, and, and I just think that, like you said, it's all kind of wrapped up into that isolation, <laughs> forcing you to think, but also coming out of this period. Um, mm-hmm. you know, can be traumatic as well. So I, I thank you for touching on those topics. I want to talk um, a little bit more about children. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked about teens, we talked about mm-hmm. fertility and um, racial trauma. I want to mm-hmm. talk a little bit more about children. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think sometimes they get left out of the conversation, not just in terms of 
COVID, but just the fact mm-hmm. that children can experience trauma from a very young age. Yes. And that trauma carries over into adulthood. <laughs> so yes. most of the trauma that we're carrying <laughs> started in childhood. Can you know you kind of talked about that and shared that mm-hmm. personally. Um, mm-hmm. but tell me a little bit more about that population and um, you know, just your thoughts about children in general and dealing with their trauma. Children, man, that the I'm glad that you circled back to this because when we look at health, I think the impulse is to, I think the impulse of society is to think of childhood as an idyllic time. And I think most people have a difficult time wrestling with the possibility that harm can be done to children mm-hmm. harm mm-hmm. has been done and how to identify that especially if you are a parent that your child may have been harmed and how do you deal with that how do you respond to that how do you support them well mm-hmm. so let me back up a little bit so earlier i mentioned a little bit about um, the concept of intergenerational trauma so just to rehash it, if you will, trauma can be passed down through the generations and it can be done so vertically. So think of DNA. So you have a child, child has, your child has a child. And in scripture, it talks about in terms of like generational curse, um, like the sins of the father follow the child Mm -hmm. and so on and so on. And I think of it medically in terms of like trauma because hurt people hurt people, but it also... And this is the part that that gets me excited is that trauma interacts with our DNA. It is what we would call an epigenetic factor. Yeah. Something outside. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Keep, keep going. You said start over with the epigenetics, but I'm so happy you circled back to this. Go ahead. Um, it's what's called an epigenetic factor, epi meaning outside. So it's outside of your DNA, but it has an effect on how your DNA is expressed. When I say expressed, your DNA is what tells your body how to make the different proteins, how to organize the cells in your body. Why is it that all humans have two? Well, I shouldn't say all humans. Why the blueprint of human beings is two hands, two feet, 10 fingers, 10 toes, two eyes, one nose, all that kind of stuff. That blueprint is your DNA. And how the DNA is expressed can be impacted by your environment. So pollutants, so think environmental racism. Do you live by a um, dumping area? Do you live by a plant? Do you live by an old industry site? Do you live in an industrial neighborhood? Um, Do you have access to clean water, food from the ground, or do you only have access to McDonald's? Is that the only food source in your community? How does your, how do your parents relate to each other? What does their relationship look like? All of these things are outside of your DNA, but have an impact on how your DNA is expressed. Mm -hmm. And so how we see that show up in terms of trauma is that the DNA expression gets altered. And so even if a baby hasn't experienced the pain that her mother has had, 
she could still have the same physiological, meaning her body responds the same way to the same trigger or stressor. So an example would be in the research, it talks about mothers. So a pregnant mother, depending on what state or what trimester she's in, how she responds to stress has a different effect on whether the baby is male or whether the baby is female in terms of like increasing risk for anxiety, mm. depression, PTSD. A lot of the research though, in terms of this intergenerational trauma has mostly or primarily has been done on Holocaust um, survivors and not much has been done on racial trauma and how black Americans experience trauma. Um, there's new, some research that has been going on to really explore that in terms of like Rwanda and mm. the genocide has ha happened or the Chimera Wars. Um, there, there's just so many <laughs> things, So right? much trauma and so many instances that we've seen in our lifetimes. You right. know, I think of 9-11 and living in New mm -hmm. York, um, being from New York and the impact that that had on people and seeing generations coming out of that who, you know, their, their parents were firefighters or, um, you mm -hmm. know, in the medical field or police officers and having to deal with the trauma of losing a parent or, mm -hmm. you know, maybe they were in the military, all these professions that really lay their lives on, you know, on the line mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. having to have those children now carrying mm -hmm. that into their lives. Mm -hmm. um, and just, it's just like this perpetual cycle. Like you said, we can, I mean, we can just name drop so many different traumas. Um, yes. You know, and, and I just want to say this, this to the audience, you know, um, that, you know, hopefully this conversation isn't triggering your trauma. Mm -hmm. It's right. not the intent of this show. The intent is to educate and really make people familiar. And, and hopefully that will make people more sensitive to the fact that mm -hmm. others may have trauma that you're not aware of just because someone looks okay doesn't mean that they're not dealing with their own trauma. So mm -hmm. again, the intention is not to trigger any mm -hmm. emotions or feelings you may have. It really is to just educate. And uh, if you've listened to the show in the past, you know, I'm a huge proponent, proponent of therapy. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to shift gears now and talk more <laughs> about that because I want to talk about some of the treatments, some of the solutions. I, I always love going to, you know, we present the problem, mm -hmm. but now let's talk in, about solutions and treatments and um, you know, if you do feel like you potentially have some trauma that needs to be worked out, I mm -hmm. highly encourage you to visit a therapist and talk about it. Mm -hmm. Again, I think everyone should have a therapist. And in particular, if you have some notable trauma, um, mm -hmm. I want to talk a little bit more about that, you know, and some solutions. We're going to get into some naturopathic, but also let's start with therapy and, um, you know, Dr. Gaynell, you have so much experience in this area. Tell me a little bit about some of the therapeutic approaches um, to trauma, and mm -hmm. then we'll move into some of the naturopathic, um, you know, recommendations as well. Uh, before going into that, I just wanted to revisit the children and how to identify trauma in children. Sure. If you notice any, like, if your child doesn't want to go to school because they have a stomach ache. GI symptoms are actually in children, one of the symptoms that they experience if they're really stressed. 
And so if they have, if they have any stomach issues, if you notice that your child doesn't want to be around a particular person, whether it's a family member or someone outside of your family, um, they are changing in changes in eating habits, behavioral changes. Maybe your child was really outgoing, but now they're really soft-spoken. Any changes in behavior, all of, you know, things like that can be a sign that your child is experiencing some form of stressor or has some form of traumatic experience. And so if you're the parent, guardian, teacher, someone in a position that this child might, uh, that you are responsible for them, if you will, creating a space of safety and talking to the child and being like, hey, you know, if there's anything going on, any person that makes you feel unsafe, um, that you're not really sure about, please let me know. And there are lots of resources about body autonomy that would be great for teaching children if you're a parent, guardian, teacher, all that kind of stuff, so that they know or rather are confident in their no. So if mm. someone wants to give them a hug, like the uncle wants to give them a hug or their cousin wants to give them a hug, they have the right to say no. And you as a parent need to uphold that no. Because if we don't, then we create this environment where children become adults who feel uncertain about boundaries and people encroaching on the boundaries and feeling like they're being rude when really they're just protecting themselves and ensuring their safety. So that's something I wanted to say before mm. we go into the rest of it. And then with no, treatment, um, so therapy. <laughs> Okay, awesome. I'm glad. Um, so with therapy, there's lots of different therapeutic approaches that are I have found to be most beneficial are the ones that help to um, process the trauma as well as improve the connection between your brain and your body. So there are lots of different therapeutic approaches that your therapist or mental health care provider might utilize, such as EMDR. Um, which is eye movement desensitization reprocessing. Really long word, just think of it as EMDR. <laughs> mm -hmm. There's also internal family systems. I really like utilizing this specific therapy um, uh, principles from this therapeutic option because when we experience trauma, we, if you've ever heard of like, a part of me wants to do this, a part of me wants to do that, IFS, aka parts work, is about sitting with those parts, talking to those parts of you and understanding their motivations, why they do what they do, um, so that you can get back to your true self. Because when we experience, uh, when we get triggered, that it's often the experience of people that a part of them is what's running the show and not really them, themselves that are sitting there. So mm -hmm. instead of me, Dr. Gaynell, responding to this person, it's seven-year-old me that isn't really sure about, I don't want to rock the boat. Whereas Dr. Gaynell, me would be like, hey, you've crossed the line. I'm not okay with how you spoke to me. I felt unsafe in this situation, which is a very different experience, right? Mm -hmm. So I really like utilizing that. There's also ACT, acceptance, compassion therapy, I think is the acronym for that. Mm -hmm. um, there is so many different formats. Um, just make sure that the 
clinician is trained in trauma because we don't want to sort of like open up Pandora's box and not mm-hmm. have any way to deal with the stuff that comes out. Um, so there's that therapy. That's, and then it's really important that you said that. Yes. Yes. And then when it comes to the intricacies of that psychoneural endo symphony that we meant, we talked about, if you're experiencing depression, if you're experiencing anxiety, um, any physical symptoms that uh, you should talk to your doctor, you know, and specifically when it comes to like depression, ask your provider, instead of just prescribing a antidepressant, like, you know, talk to them and ask them, hey, could you check my thyroid? Yes. Um, <laughs> hey, could you check my vitamin D levels? Because low vitamin D and low thyroid function can cause depression. And if those physical, like physiological, like your body is doing something, things are treated, then the mental symptoms go away. Um, and so like when talking to your provider, or with your PCP, it's like really important to not just think of it as, oh, this is just a mental thing, or this is just a physical thing. Mm. But remember that everything is interconnected and ask them to do testing, ask questions if you don't understand something, um, because your doctor works for you. You yes. don't work for them. Yes. <laughs> I say that all the time. And if you don't like your doctor, get another one. Yes. You no, know, you have to have that relationship where you feel comfortable expressing yourself. And if mm-hmm. in any way that relationship causes trauma, you don't need mm-hmm. to be there. Yes. Yes. Because, you know, providers, if they are dismissive, um, that is another form of trauma, you know, like not listening to you. And unfortunately, if you're a woman, particularly if you're a black woman or another woman of color, there is additional um, potential for trauma in that medical relationship. So if you're working as a therapist and you don't feel like they get you, that relationship is really important. Like if you don't feel safe, it ain't working. So (laughs) (laughs) you need somebody else. (laughs) There is a online documentary called the wisdom of trauma, wisdom of trauma.com with Dr. Gabor Mate. He is um, a great resource for all things trauma and just how that affects the body. If you want to learn more about, you know, what Dr. Gaynell brilliantly broke down as far as, you know, the relationship between the hormones and your um, neuroendocrine system, please, please um, check out that documentary. Um, It's going to be showing again uh, this month on the 28th for a few days. So check out that website and please, please, please check out and follow Dr. Gaynell Nave. Um, She already gave you the information, follow her Thank you so much, Dr. Gaynell, for being on the show. Thank you 
you so much for tuning in to the Seeking Wellness Show today. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Pierre. You can reach out to me at my website, drjpierre.com, on Instagram at drjpierre, or on Facebook at Dr. Jennifer Pierre. Please be sure to check out the website, wpcan.org, for past shows. And meet us right back here, same time, same place, on the fourth Saturday of the month for another informative topic. Enjoy your weekend, and most of all, please stay healthy. You're listening to WPKN Bridgeport 89.5 FM and online at WPKN.org.